80% of companies have a formal system for managing objectives that cascade down through the organisation, and yet, two-thirds of senior managers and 84% of frontline employees say they can't name or don't understand the company goals. My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast episode 20. Thank you for joining me again as we explore the world of work and leadership from a variety of different industries. This podcast seeks to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behaviour to make working life better for all. It's been two years since I started recording these podcasts and reaching number 20 is a real milestone. That's 20 great conversations for you to enjoy and your enjoyment is my goal. Thank you very much to Kate who shared the podcast with her colleagues on LinkedIn. When someone shares or likes the Good Boss Bad Boss podcast, I like to think that somewhere in the world a bad boss becomes a little bit good. My guest this month is Iriel O'Farrell, a consultant and author with a passion for helping people design their ideal future and pathway to success. Her first book focused on values in the workplace, but just recently she wrote a book that gets to the root of objective setting. As the end of year creeps in, our minds switch to annual reviews, but every good leader knows that the success of a good review process lies in good objective setting. The horse has bolted on 2020, but we can start well in 2021, and now is the time to start thinking of objective setting, not mid-January. Everyone knows that smart means specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely, and most companies use this model. However, as you heard from the intro stat, companies and leaders do this really badly. If you want to be a truly good boss, then you need to nail objective setting in a meaningful way. Thankfully, Ariel has broken this down in a way that's easy to understand and follow. Her book, Smart Objective Setting for Managers, A Roadmap, is out now and Ariel has very kindly agreed to give us two signed copies of the book to give away to our listeners. So what I want you to do is give us a five-star rating on iTunes and then send me an email at stephen at stephennaughton.com and the first two people in will get a free signed copy of this extremely useful book. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. So listen, learn and enjoy. Ariel O'Farrell, you're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. It's episode 20 and we're here to talk about smart objectives. You've written a book called Smart Objective Setting for Managers, a Roadmap. But, you know, Ariel, like we've been all doing this smart objective setting for years. We, we know how to do this, surely. Who, who needed to write a book about it? What, what, what makes you the expert, Ariel? <laughs> Hi, Stephen. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, good question. What does make me the expert? Um, I'll tell you, I'll go back a bit because I started out in, in science. I did in college. I ended up doing a degree in physics and math. Um, and then I followed it up uh, with a postgraduate in statistics because everybody needs one of those in your back pocket. Um, <laughs> and I ended up going to Australia. So I was like, the plan was always to uh, leave uh, Ireland, go off to travel now to, to, to explore the world. And I was going off to Australia because my sister lived in Australia. So I packed up and went off. And uh, the, the maths got me into financial services, opened the door for me into financial services. Um, and so I was working there and we had two bosses and one we all loved and the other one, eh, we weren't really that mad about them. <laughs> um, but of course, my interest was piqued by what is he doing that everybody loves him and what is she doing that everybody kind of avoids her? Yeah. Um, and, and so I was kind of you know fascinated with the kind of 
it, it, what goes on that that kind of in, in draws some people toward you know, draws some people towards one person and, and you know other people doesn't have the same impact impact yeah um but i just thought it was a bit of a blip and i kind of ended up uh, going to to boston moved to boston and worked in financial service in the funds industry there um, and kind of there i was kind of fascinated with how do you match the business needs performance needs with the individual yeah. needs um, and to me, a very natural thing was like, well, they kind of need to know how to do the job, which kind of seems kind of obvious. Yeah, that's obvious. But, you know, it turns out it's not that obvious <laughs> in my experience along my journey. Um, so I ended up kind of moving into management quite quickly and uh, was just, you know, again, very much took the, the, the tack and it worked for me extremely well around, you know, you develop them up, you train them up, you give them the standards, the expectations, mm-hmm. you let them go for it, you give them feedback, they know where they stand, they perform for you. And quite naturally, I ended up with a very high performing team. Um, not that I, it wasn't called high performing in those days, they didn't, the term hadn't been coined, but we, we kind of ended up with a very yeah. high performing team in a very high pressured environment. Um, and so I moved back to Ireland and in 99, which was the height of the boom of the funds industry in Ireland. And there was a massive amount of business, but very few people knew how to actually do the work of it. Yeah. And so um, I kind of had six months in operations that was was constantly chaotic. And I was just like, I just can't, you know, I don't mind chaos so long as there's a plan to get out of it. So okay. I was like, we need a plan to get out of this because we just can't keep kind of this short-term pain becomes medium-term pain, becomes long-term pain. We just can't keep doing this. Yeah. So I kind of said, look, I'll move into training and see how that, you know, with the idea of move in, get people trained up and, and know how to do their jobs and then move back into operations. And as it turned out, my, my initial interest in people and management and what inspires and motivates people from Australia kind of yeah, kind of came yes. to the fore there. So it's <laughs> only when I look back, I realize actually that's where my interest kind of initially was peaked. But um, so moved into training and initially kind of did focus on technical training. But then after about six months, they were like, you know, all those people we um, promoted up to supervisor. Would you teach them how to manage? So right. Like, Grant, Promote so first, train later. Train later, <laughs> which is quite a common trend. <laughs> yeah. So moved into, tra- you know, developing of the managers and that kind of stuff. And so um always the one to be kind of putting my hand up to kind of get involved in, in kind of interesting projects. Uh, we were looking at redesigning the object, the, the performance management process. So I, right. Julie, stuck up my hand and said, I'll, I'll, I'll take that on and I'll do that. So it started developing out, uh, you know, researching it and designing it and rolling it out and delivering the training associated with it. Um, and, and that's really fascinating um, because you, the training was delivered to the to the managers, but also to the staff. So mm. you were getting both perspectives, right? Um, and you were getting the perspective of the managers around, like, how do I do that? What do I? Do? What am I doing? What What's the purpose of this? Why are we doing this? Why are you make? Why are you? Why are you, why are you torturing me? <laughs> um, so they, you know, they, they'd have kind of really interesting questions, and you know, how does this link to the job? And what difference yeah. does this? And what's on top of this other than their job? Like, why? Why do we have to do this? Like, what is the yeah. Um, so you'd have really interesting conversations there. And then you'd have really interesting conversations on the staff side. And, uh, you know, they'd be kind of like, why, do, you know, you know, you'd get things like, well, you know, I, I got uh, objectives, but sure they were the exact same as everybody else's on the team. Yeah. Yeah. So why, what, like, what, 
am I exactly the same as everybody else on the t-? you know because that's what yeah. that implies yeah or yeah. you know you get the well, well I got my and it had somebody else's name on it and you're like oh oh yeah the copy and paste gremlins copy and paste. Oh. oh no we you care know, we cringing. care about you but we've forgotten your name <laughs> yeah so um so that was really interesting because actually we we went too far with the first design. Yeah. And um, we actually a couple of years later, we said the feedback was, look, it's too it's too rigid. We need to kind of. So I kind of went back and we redesigned it based on the feedback. Um, and again, you're you know, it was things like, you know, should it be a five point rating? Should it be a seven point rating scale? Should it be this? Should it be that? And it's interesting because that was my that, I mean, that's still going back to that role uh, in in uh, 2000. 2000 into 2006 and it was interesting because the conversations I've had subsequently under the banner of evolution consulting are still the same questions yes, are still yeah. like I could write their questions before I even go into the session as to the questions that will be asked and then I'll be going yeah there's t- yeah. you know bingo question bingo whatever there's that one there's that one yeah so 15 years um, on we haven't actually 15 years, we, haven't, yeah. we haven't changed no um and, and 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 what's interesting is it's become even more complex because roles have become more complex. Right, yeah. Because technology has taken away a lot of the easier tasks. Yeah, yeah. Or PA and all these things. 15 years ago or yeah. 20 years ago, people would have been doing. Um, and so the, the, the value of the role has increased. So it's expected to be more analysis. It's expected to be higher level or whatever. But I don't necessarily see that being captured or acknowledged anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so you know, they struggled 15 years ago, whatever, and it's become more complex. So needless to say, I'm, I'm not sure we fully cracked it. Yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so that, that gives you the starting point of having what, what I'm really interested in, so you you went down this this road of, of training and next thing you're involved in, in you know, uh, teaching people how to be better team leaders. But, you know, you, you kind of, flippantly threw in there at the start you started off as a scientist <laughs> I mean that's that, did, did you did you have an, a different idea of what your life would be like back when you were just before you went yeah. to Australia no I was always going to Australia that was all right okay okay <laughs> no I was always going to Australia it was more which course was I doing before I went to Australia yeah um yeah well yeah funny story you know when you're filling out the CAO and I liked bio I did biology honours biology and past maths for the leaving cert. So I liked biology and sure I wasn't too bad at the maths, um, albeit that I didn't do the honours. But, um, but so when I was filling out my CAO form, I picked the science type of yeah, courses. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the course that I got accepted into, that I got offered was a degree in physics, chemistry and maths. Wow. So okay. I ro- rocked in with my honour in my biology and my honour in my past <laughs> maths into a physics, chemistry. And that's course. So um, I was there and I was like, right, I better knuckle down. But actually, interestingly, I, I was only 16 de- doing the leaving cert. Um, so I would have been like literally my birthday is the end of August. So I was literally turned 17 starting college. Right. And um, I, I did first year, needless to say, failed it. Um, <laughs> so, but actually, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I'd never really I kind of scooted through school and never really failed at anything. Never excelled, but never failed. Yeah, you, you kind of went was, for the middle road and, and yeah, under yeah. the radar. Yeah, and it was the first time I had actually failed. It was like, oh, hold on, sorry, hold on. I can actually fail at something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And I didn't really like the feeling of it, I have to say. And it kind of propelled me right the way into fourth year. Right. It was okay. the kind of kick that gave me. Um, and like, in all honesty, obviously, I wasn't really the topic while I did get my degree. The topic wasn't really in my sweet spot. Um, but I, what it did do is it kind of gave me evidence to say, well, whatever it is, I can put my mind to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and get through it, even if it's not the right thing for me. Um, but subsequently, when I kind of found what I did love, I've, you know, sort of excelled in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In all of the studies subsequently. Um, so. So, I mean, my... it, it, it gave you that grit. Yeah. 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 So did. good lesson there. And fast forward then, fast forward then to where you found yourself training all these people in in uh, in how to set objectives and how to be a, mm. a great manager. You know, what what drove you on in that? You know, what was the driving force behind why you wanted to make a difference in that way? Yeah, really good question. And what I've and what was always there in me was that um, I suppose I always had a bit of a what's this all about kind of questions in life, you know, you know, and even stuff. I remember kind of going, how does a cat call the cat? How did we decide that? Or where did that come from? Or do you know there's some of those <laughs> yeah. kind of what, what's this all about? But I, but I suppose my my life purpose is to help people be the best they can be. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's only when you do your executive coaching and you have to answer those questions and you uncover that. But it was always just that, like, like if you're going to do it, do it to the best of your ability, do it to the best version of yourself you can be, mm. kind of do what you want to do. And, 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 and if I can enable you or help you to do that, yeah. um, uh, you know, uh, great. And, and that was sort of always my driver. So to me, with, even with with my team, my, my very first team, it was always, well, you know, you need to be enabled to do your job. Yeah. yeah. Um, before, you know, before I'm going to start giving you a hassle around that you're not doing your job, I need to know you're able to do it. And if you're not able to do it, well, that's a different conversation. But I at least need to know that yeah. you're able to do it and um, that you're trained up, that you know what you're doing, that you're. Um, and then I just I'm always fascinated with what makes people tick. Yeah. Just how did they interpret that or you can tell when how people respond to something and they might ask a question or and you're going what did they hear yeah what did yeah. they pick up there because that's not what i thought i said so i was just always fascinated with mm. what what is that what's going on for them um which naturally brought me into um going back to the training naturally brought me into executive coaching yeah because yeah you'd go to you'd do the delivery the, the train deliver the training and and we got huge like there was huge shifts in people like you could actually see it in some people there was huge shifts yeah. just off the training alone but you get people who go yeah yeah no absolutely i know i should be doing it definitely i know i should be doing it yeah no i'm not doing it <laughs> I can do, it wouldn't be done so, so then I was kind of so training is brilliant for skills and knowledge mm. sharing skills and knowledge but then it was the kind of and what stops people from knowing they should be doing that and knowing and they have the skills and they have the knowledge and they know they should be doing it. So what's stopping them? Mm. So that brought me into kind of executive coaching and that one to one work. Yeah. Um, and that 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 that. That kind of very up close work with somebody as to what's really going on with them and what's holding them back. 
Um, so in 2006, I, I ended up um, doing a executive coaching course and qualifying into that. And that's a life changer, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> that was a life changer. That's a good segue into book number one. Just, uh, yeah, I that's, right, that's right. This is the, this is the second book. This isn't second even the first book. book. Yeah. yeah. So that really was that course was life changing. And one of the biggest life changing parts for me personally was the concept of values. And it was this like, oh, my God, that's what's been going on for years. This this, this sort of kind of low level tension conflict that you come into with somebody whose values aren't the same as yours. And you can't quite put your finger on why you don't feel comfortable or why this tension exists. Because you don't have the framework of values. Yes, yeah. Um, but when I when I came across them and I was like, oh my God, that's been what's been there for so yeah. long. So it was just one of those real revelations of um, okay, this isn't just me. There is something going on yeah, here. And yeah. I now have a name for it and I now have a framework for it. Um, and by understanding my own values, what was really helpful for me was recognizing when I came into conflict with somebody else's values, when my values came into conflict with somebody else's, I was able to kind of go, oh, that's my value of X yes. being impacted there. Yeah. So I don't have to get upset about this. I don't have to bother because that's just yeah. what that is. I, this isn't personal. This is just a values clash. So it made life an awful lot easier for me mm-hmm. because I wasn't expending huge amounts of energy on on the angst that was arising because something didn't feel right. Um, in 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 relation to somebody else's values, it's it's so, it's it's a it's a thing that companies don't spend a lot of time on in aligning values and making sure everybody's aware of the values in the room. You know, because mm. the, companies in a way can't have values. It's only people in companies that have values, <laughs> and that makes the company's values. But as correct. you say, there's <laughs> always that low level tension if there's something not right. If yeah. and, and it's when values clash that you really get this irreconcilable difference and, and it can and it manifests itself in loads of little petty arguments, but it's actually based on values, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's uh, and uh, through the work that I started, because I was so passionate about values when I was working with my coaching clients, I would go through their values i would yeah. would be one of the first places we'd start would be around their values yes and what i was noticing was they were getting the same relief that i got so they were getting the same level of oh okay i don't have to get upset about this the, the, mm. that same level of ability to depersonalize it and to not get involved in the emotion of it so i was kind of like there's something in here you know which led me to then when i when i did finally uh, decide to take the plunge and write write a book um, when I, I was originally, ironically, I was originally going to write a book on performance management, but I started it and I wasn't quite ready for it. And then I hit upon the, the, the values, but the, you know, writing a book on values. And I was like, of course, that's it. That's the book I need to write. Um, so that was. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, the title is great, which I totally agree with, which is, you know, it's not just for a plaque on the office wall, yeah. <laughs> which, which which is what, you know, what so many values are. They're they're written large and, and, and big. And uh, I've just started reading the book, but, you know, using it as an, as an example, Enron, and it is just the perfect example that everybody can really follow and understand as to here's what happens when the values don't mean a thing <laughs> you know so it's a great example um <laughs> yeah. so i'm looking forward to reading the rest of that um would you find nowadays just to to uh, 
that that companies spend enough time on values do you reckon have they you know in the last you know since you wrote that book would you say people are more tuned into values and companies or they're more tuned into the term but right. i wouldn't say they're tuned into the level of work it takes to properly articulate no, okay, yeah. and have conversations around what the values really are yeah um, and so they would now i have worked with several clients who do spend a lot of time you have spent a lot of time on their values and and, yeah. and articulating them and articulating the boundaries of them yeah. within the organization like where what are the boundaries of them and what is the ranking of them um because you know if we if we end up with a, an issue that arises and we've got two values that are being impacted which order are we going to apply them in and mm-hmm. the example i love using here is the um the fifa i'm sure if i'm allowed to talk about fifa yeah the, the fifa one was they had fair fair play was their their most yeah obvious a, one yeah they give an but award out at every tournament yeah absolutely. you know and they certainly did things that would seem to you know that they did truly value it uh, and i'm not questioning that i'm questioning what i the point i'm making is more that they also have a value of commerciality yeah which is less state less exposed or less discussed publicly by them but they clearly have a, a value of commerciality and the, the problem for them is or was during that whole um you know, a few years back when they, when there was an awful lot of um, bad press for them, yeah. was that they, they promoted their value of fair play, but they also had a value of commerciality and the ranking order of them was commerciality one and fair play two. Oh, so when it came yeah. down to it, what they ranked was the commerciality took preference over the fair play. Yeah, and what a message. Yeah, amount. yeah, that mm. message is very strong then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and in and terms so, of in terms of companies doing it well, you you mentioned one company that 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 really are getting why. How does that manifest itself on the ground if they get it really if they if they know their values, uh, they have yeah. them ranked correctly, there's a good discussion about it and people understand what the values actually mean. What does that look like on the ground? What what type of difference does it make? If the the real big difference is it, it means that the values are used to make decisions. Yeah. Um, so, well, so that's the biggest thing is that that actually if these are really serious values um, and that we the, the, the collective senior leadership team buys into them, um, it means that the, the values will naturally be the basis on which decisions are made. And so the, the decisions will resonate with the value. They will make sense within the context of the values. Yeah. So what often happens is companies will go, oh yeah, these these values sound great and we've defined them or whatever. And then they get parked while decisions are being made because the senior leadership team doesn't really, they're not really the values of the senior leadership team. Yeah. They make decisions. Everybody looks at this and goes, but that decision is no, nowhere close to fitting in with those values. Yeah. And so it causes this disconnect and we get into this actions versus words. So you're telling us the words are this, yeah. but your actions are saying something else is more important. And, and, and that's exactly what happened yeah. with FIFA because people were going, but you're telling us fair play and this doesn't look like fair play. And they were yeah. like, well. And actions <laughs> um, speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than yeah. words. And they also communicate a lot, an awful lot more. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what, what you end up with when decisions are made via the values is they feel right. Mm, they okay. feel consistent yeah. with the values and people go, yeah, that, that makes sense. 
given uh, our values, that makes sense as a decision. And I'm, I'm sure this year that has come to the fore for a lot of companies who have gone through, you know, an enormously tough time. What, you know, if they made their decision based on their values, I actually would say that a lot of the listeners would be able to say, actually, that looked like a values based decision where they really yeah. truly and that one there looked like as you say maybe a commercial decision and there was a yeah. lot of impact from that so you know I mean I wouldn't say it would be too hard to find those decisions uh, they'd probably written in yeah. the paper a few times at the moment yeah 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 really and it's not that some some companies do have a value of commerciality and it may be their first ranked mm. um uh, value and if that's stated and they're making the decisions by it, that would still be in keeping with the commerciality. It's when they don't have a stated value yeah, of commerciality yeah. and rank as one, that's when it starts looking it like this, it clashes. This doesn't yeah. look like a decision made on, yeah. you know, on whatever fairness or whatever. This looks like a decision. And it's the fact that commerciality wasn't named or wasn't ranked first that causes Brilliant. Yeah. The, the issue. I, we we could talk about values. That is a whole yes. separate thing on its own. But I mean, it's amazing that that was the first book you entered because it's so important. But now you've written a new one. And I, when I picked this up, uh, what I thought was really interesting about it was like, oh, yeah, why hasn't this been written before? <laughs> and I, I actually said, oh, maybe it has. Maybe it has. Don't worry. It, it, it probably has. And I went on to Google, to be honest with you, and I searched. And you know what? There's nothing there. There's loads of things about goal setting and it's really broad and it's kind of like, and a lot of them, to be honest with you, are about personal goal setting and doing your mm. vision board about wanting that Lamborghini when you're, you know, by the time you're 35 or whatever. Yeah. But actually, practically speaking, from smart objective setting, which countless companies use on a yearly yeah. basis to set the direction of their staff careers, there's no books out there. This is, this. There's no guide as to how to do it. And then when I think back to my own time and I asked myself the question, but maybe I did a training course that told me how to do it. And I went, oh no, I didn't do a training course either. <laughs> as you say, there was very broad things about performance management about which one slide would be and make sure the objectives are smart. Mm. Smart means... Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, was, yeah. I, 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 you know, I was kind of really surprised and I was like, oh my God, this was a really good gap actually here in, in needing something. But people really see objective setting at the start of the year as a real tick box exercise. It's absolutely, oh God, sure I have to do this because HR said I have to do it and I have to fill it in on the system and I have to make sure it's smart. Is it specific? Is it measurable? Is it attainable? Is it realistic? Is it time bound? Yeah, yeah, Grant. Yeah, yeah. It's all of those things. Tick. Done. God, I'm glad that's done for another year. I never have to look at it again. Is that pretty much <laughs> sums up what people feel about it? Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. <laughs> <laughs> why Why yeah. is this the case? What's, what's wrong? Yeah. What's wrong at this, the moment? This is, uh, well, <laughs> I'd like to say at the moment, I think it's been there for years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, and and this is just fascinating. I just get fascinated by this because you're kind of going, but like, it's part of management. It's actually part of management. It's a key skill of being a manager. 
Yeah. Because her job is to manage people and to manage the processes and, 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 and you know, and, and deliver the outputs or the outcomes of the team that you manage or whatever. And, and like, you have to develop people, you have to kind of, you know, kind of tell them, you know, set them direction or give them additional pieces to stretch them and all that kind of stuff. Is this just not... Um, but it, it's interesting because a lot of people, well, there's, there's a few elements elements to it. One one is um, managers often get, and manager, I've never come across an industry that this isn't true. Managers get promoted up because they're technically good. Yeah. Okay. So they get, they're technically good. Um, they tend to be good at problem solving. The number one trait that I personally, I don't have any evidence on this, but this is just my number one uh, observation of what all managers have in common is the vast majority, about 99% of them have in common is that they're good problem solvers, which is why they got promoted in the first place, because they could figure things out and get them done. Right, yeah. Okay, fixers. That's my take on it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So, but they were technically good, good problem solvers, and they got promoted into management. And then they were told, sure, you, you know how to do the technical stuff. You'll be grand on the management. It's all mm. the same. And so they get left to it and typically don't get very much training. And I'd agree with you. Um, like I do obviously give training, deliver training to um, into companies on both the, 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 the managers and the individuals receiving mm. the training. Um, and, and there's an awful lot of companies that don't provide that training. And I, I just, it's, it's, it's like, I don't understand why the gap is there. I don't understand it. But um, so they, so they end up, their managers, they've been promoted up. They're not really that sure about what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. They're not really, to, you know, they're told make sure, ensure that, direct, you, you know, kind of manage. Yeah. Yeah, but what does that mean? Like, what, what does that look like when it's at home, kind of thing? Um, and then, then HR comes in and says, oh, you know, annually we have to set objectives and here's the process. And they're kind of going, oh, right. And so the message comes from that it's HR making them do this. Oh, yeah, it's HR. HR are the bad, because, <laughs> the bad guys. HR puts in place the infrastructure to do it. Yeah. But of course, they're only there to provide the infrastructure yeah. <laughs> to make sure they quality check it. They're not there to do the actual objective. And so it seems it comes across as manager. The, the first thing they're hearing about it is HR kind of tell them they have to do this. So they, they the disconnect comes that they see this as something HR is making them do because yeah. nobody's explained to them how your ability to develop your team and to you know um, enable them and to develop them and to give them opportunities and to motivate them and all that kind of stuff. That's never really properly explained to them. Mm. And, and so, and, and then the standard they have to go on is, of course, the objectives the way they were set for them. So, <laughs> whoever the the great manager who got fired that you're replacing, it's uh, that's the standard you have to hit. You have to make sure that yeah. you get them as good as Bob, the guy who was there before you. And you remember he yeah. did the copy and paste thing and called you Mary yeah. halfway through it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if that is your um, if that is your frame of reference or whatever, sure, it's going to be all turn out great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 because HR provide the infrastructure and nobody ever d trains the managers to understand what their role as managers are or whatever, it just feels like it's something that's been imposed by, H by HR. But to me, it's yeah. like a key skill of actually being a manager. It's, it's a, um, I, 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 I would find it, having managed, I mean, I've managed myself teams for about 10 years and I would find it extremely difficult to manage yeah. them yeah. without that ability to develop them. 
a lot of a lot of managers would say, yeah, 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 I hear you, yeah, and I know HR are just there to help me, and I know if I do it well, I can get a better result, but my employees are just disengaged. They, I sit mm-hmm. there at objective setting time, and I kind of go, oh, so, you know, new year, what will we do? Great excitement. And they just sit there looking at me like a goldfish. What what do I do with that? I, I can't get them to actually engage in this process at all. How do you get people, employees themselves to engage? Because is it all on the manager? Um, so uh, this is a question I get asked quite a bit, usually by managers. Yeah. <laughs> how much of it is on me and how much of it? Um, I'm kind of of the 60% on the manager, 40 on the individual, maybe okay. 70%, 30 on the individual, depending on how experienced okay. the individual is and how senior they are. Um, managers are... are Again, going back to your point around, it doesn't feel like this because they saw Bob managing them and they they didn't really see see much motivation or leadership there. But like managers are really, in my my view, managers are part of their role is they're more experienced, they're more senior, they have a better sense of how the organization works. And they do have a responsibility to be guiding their their staff and to be putting forward a kind of this is where you can go and this is the path you can go on and this is how you need to develop. So my take is always that, you know, there's that kind of where does this person fit in within the team? Where do they, you know, what's the purpose of the role they do? Where are they in relation to their ability to deliver that role? Where do they need to improve? And then once they've mastered the role, what do they want to do next? Mm. Um, And so, you know, I'd kind of go, yeah, the individual might not be particularly engaged, but I'd be kind of going, well, what kind of conversation are you having with them to engage them? Yeah. Are you setting that out for them? Do they have a plan? Do they know what's possible? Are you helping them to figure that out? Like maybe they don't like your particular, is there a particular area they do? Have you had these conversations? Maybe they're happy out. Maybe they're, yeah. and what you inevitably find is the managers haven't had those conversations. And they, and not only that, but what I also find is that they don't really oftentimes, you know, you start having these conversations and they're looking at you kind of go, what are you talking about? Yeah. You're going, but do you have a picture of what their role is about, what they're supposed to, what the standard is supposed to be? No, yeah. not really. Am I supposed to? It's kind of hard to figure out where, how people are doing if you don't have that benchmark of what are they supposed to be doing, you know? So there, there's this, there is often this disconnect between the manager mm. having a clear understanding of what's the benchmark of the role yeah. and where is the person in relation to that role. Um, and so, you know, the, it starts unraveling that they're going, I don't really have an understanding and, of and that, the role that, is that benchmark is. All of that thought process, and I always say to leaders, thinking is working, is yeah, that, that has yeah. to happen way before the performance objective setting conversation like I mean that and I mean months before surely yeah I mean one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you now was you know we're we're coming into November and this is the right time to start this for the next year like you know you actually need to be prepping from now isn't that right yeah that's it like if you you start this in January you you're too late now you know you're already a month into the year and next thing you've you've taken a, a month of opportunity of performance away from people but you really need absolutely. to kind of get going way before that. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you. And it does take planning and it does take like reflection and thinking through. And the first thing is, do I have a clear 
understanding of the different roles in my team, what the purpose of the team is, what we're supposed to be delivering, you know, yeah. and, and what is working and what isn't working. And is it working because Johnny isn't doing his job or is it working because actually the system isn't even working? Yes. There's an issue with the system and we're waiting for inputs from some other team that never gets it to us on time and that's having input. You know, so it's 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 kind of what actually is going on with performance and is it the individuals or is it the teams or is it other issues going on? Yeah. Is it the culture? Yeah. Is it the, like, there's so many different things that can be feeding into the performance um, that Johnny's getting in the neck because he's not performing right. <laughs> yeah. And, and you mentioned there, what's the purpose of the team? And, and in the yeah. book, in the book, you talk about the drivers behind objectives. People yeah. don't actually spend enough time talking about what why do I work it? You know, they, they get a job in a large organization. Somebody shows them where their desk is. Somebody shows them, here's the tasks that we do. And a lot of time people don't even know, well, how do we fit in? How, where do we fit yeah. in in this machine? You know, and, and yeah. how do we actually, and that's the driver. You know, you didn't get a job because they wanted to employ you. You got a job because you're there to fix a problem or you're there to, to bring exactly. the agenda on somehow. You know, yeah. I think, yeah. I thought that was a brilliant thing in the book actually that, Actually, what are the drivers of the team? What are the drivers of the objective? And actually, I don't think I have ever seen anybody talk about that before objective setting. So I thought that was a really uh, interesting chapter that everybody would would be interested in. And, you know, I I mean, I would agree with you because when I have these conversations with managers, they are looking at me like I've got two heads going, what are you talking about? Mm. You know, and I'm looking at them going, do you not have a picture in your head around what this looks like, what good looks like? Mm. Um, and and they, they're just keep it right here. Yeah. Okay. Hey, yeah. Char, keep making me do these objective sessions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it, 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 and then you can start kind of going, this is how it fits in. And going back to your question about engagement, it's no wonder people are disengaged. Yeah. Because they're not being brought into connecting to why they're there and the difference that they make. And when you do bring that in, and I did it in the funds industry, and there's a lot of people in the world that would go, like, we don't need the funds industry. We don't need the stocks and bonds. You know, but you kind of do for your pension. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You kind of do to kind of enable... And you can start linking through to those things. You're going, look, that's that's the difference we make. So somebody can have a really nice retirement or they can afford to buy you know, whatever, a, a second home or whatever it is they want, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're enabling their dreams. And so that's why it makes a difference. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't connect people through to what difference does our organization, what difference does our team, if our team didn't exist, you know, why would it matter? Yeah. You know, and and that the answer I, that, is like, it wouldn't. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then, and then you're in deep yeah. trouble. <laughs> and it brings in, it actually brings in values then. If you look at, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Disneyland, you know, that, that make people happy, <laughs> you know, actually yeah, we're exactly. here, you know, if somebody told you you're here to sell tickets for Disneyland, oh, well, that's fine. Yeah. Selling tickets. But actually, no, you're here to make people happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now yeah. You, you've, you've driven a bigger purpose behind what they actually do then at that stage. Yeah. And you'll, yeah. I think that values actually come into those drivers then um, as well. They can definitely and as you yeah. say, the funds industry, yeah, you, you get a lot of people who'd kind of go, oh my God, that's, that's awful boring stuff. But then as you say, well, no, this people gives a, gives a beautiful retirement for so many people, you know, and that's, that's the goal. Oh, well, hang on. Yeah, no, I could get behind that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause we all want that. Um, we do. <laughs> It, it, it's amazing, you know, in, in terms of those drivers, if, if leaders are honest, you know, they don't actually, that thought process, they don't spend any time. I mean, I would say if people are honest, they spend about 30 minutes before the conversation 
sorting out oh yeah this is I've got John, Mary, Jack, Jimmy, Joe and if I spend a few hours over the lot of them that'll be enough to sort out the objectives and yeah you know sure they're, they're all operators of such a tool so I'll just copy that one across so mm. that, that'll even save me a half an hour so that's great mm. what kind of time do people need to be spending to do this really well I mean you've obviously written a book on it so there's a there's a lot in this but you don't have to read the book every time you just have to read it once um but what kind of time should they be spending realistically on preparing for the objective setting conversation um so there's an definitely it does need time and it needs reflection and it needs to kind of go where is what is you know where's johnny what's he doing what role is he in where does he where does he need to develop where does he need to um you know what 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 is our his career plans or his you know aspirations that kind of stuff whatever so all of that needs to be so that takes time to gather that observer observing all of that and and to, to kind of take that those inputs into to the, into the analysis that needs to take place um and then it needs to be kind of you know what it also needs to take understand what what does the team need to achieve over the next mm. 12 months um so what you know oftentimes you know the strategy comes down and we break it down and we have a sense of that but even if that's not there it's the kind of okay me as the manager of the team as the leader of the team what do i want to achieve with the team for the 12 months yeah and um, so having thought, thought through well what is it that we, we as a team are going to achieve um, and that takes time to think through um, and then it takes time to kind of go now out of that who can i give to what or who needs to do what in terms of being able to deliver that and realizing that and that also takes time um what i would say is the more you do it the faster it becomes yeah okay so the the you know the first time will take it could take a few days to work through the whole team you know depending on the size of the yeah. team or whatever it could take and it could be broken out into you know three or four we owe across three or four weeks to kind of okay. build, building on it and that. Um, but the more you do it, the faster it becomes. The more you do it, the faster you see what ha- needs to be done. The more you do it, the more you can kind of put it into um, into re- reason, reasonistic objectives that can be achieved. The faster you do it, the faster you can get the connections. So like at this stage, when somebody's talking to me, I've already pretty much got the objective written in my head before they finish the conversation. But you obviously can't say that to yeah, you bring yeah. them on the journey. <laughs> but you know, you have a pretty good idea this is going to land yeah. around here. Um, but the drivers do, as I was saying, the drivers do become very important yeah. because one of the big things that I, so when I, my very initial um, objective setting, of course, I used to do a half day course in that company going back to, to the 2000s. Um, and we'd do the smart objectives with the tangible, obje- the what objectives and the managers would be kind of like, okay, okay I can get my head around what objectives yeah. and we'll go through that and that's fairly fast. But then we get into the how objectives, which yeah. is the behavioral objectives. And that can take a while because they, you need to do it, you know, again, it's the practicing of it around what's that example of, what's that an example of, what's going on there, why might that be happening? Yes. And this is where you might find out, you know, somebody's not very good at, or somebody doesn't turn up to meetings on time, for example. Yeah. And you kind of go, they don't turn up to the meetings on time. Why is that? You know, and all of a sudden you realize because nobody turns up to meetings on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that you might be a stickler for turning up to meetings yeah. on time in a context of an organization that nobody turns up to meetings on time and you're going out to Johnny going, Johnny, you need to start turning up to meetings on time and Johnny's looking at yeah. you going, why would I need to do that? <laughs> nobody else does. <laughs> There's nobody else there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, 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 so they're getting an objective where they're going, I don't understand what the purpose of this objective is because me sitting there for 10 minutes waiting for everybody else is not going to do anything. Um, but but so the, the context is is yeah you know it's the individual's manager's kind of thing to turn up on time rather than than really you know so in that case Johnny's going to be I can do that and behaviors it's not going to make a wider difference the, the how yeah so you know to explain to some people who might not have experienced this before generally nowadays people split them into what objectives as in what yeah. you what you will do which can be yeah, very targets. measurable you'll do x yeah. amount of projects a year by this time or whatever. And then the how one is focused on behavioral. And yeah. this is this can be a lot more difficult for people to quantify because also there's a little bit of my preference as a manager over what behavior yeah. I like. I might I might be a pace setting manager, which is kind of like I want everybody in here early and I want you to stay late and I want you to work through lunch. And if your behavior doesn't fit my idea of what the behavior is, I might be marking you down. That's not necessarily fair, you know, so there, there has to be really good conversations over what behavior is expected and does it fit in with the values of the company, too? Yeah, and, and that's where and that this is the part where managers really struggle. So they, they might just about get their head around the, the as you say, the what objectives, because they're fairly tangible. You, know, you say deliver five projects, whatever it is, that's fine. But the how how are just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and here's where the real, you know, in terms of preparation, it's the why does this matter? So the question I'll be kind of going oh, is okay. what's the business impact? What's the business impact of this? Um, why does it, you know, and they go, well, because it, you know, so in that case with Johnny and the turning up on time or whatever, the, the business impact, there won't be one because nobody else turns up on time. So it's not like you're <laughs> yeah. holding everybody else up or whatever. Yeah. So what, when, when I, and, and my rule of thumb is if you can't find a business reason as to why it needs to change, then this is your own idiosyncrasy. Okay, but very if you good. Can put yeah. it in, yeah, but if you can put it in terms of the business impact is, so if it turns out that Johnny's turning up late in an organization where everybody turns up on time, the business impact is we're all left waiting or we all have to end up repeating everything that was said in the first 10 minutes because you didn't turn up in time or yes. you keep asking questions that you know you keep asking questions that we've already answered in the first 10 minutes but that you didn't hear the answer to because you turned up you didn't turn up on time yeah excellent so when you can put it in terms of business impact, business impact yeah you're depersonalizing it. Oh, kind of saying, yeah, brilliant. Okay, nothing personal to you, but the impact on everybody is this, or the impact on the business is this. And so therefore, it, what I found is that managers are a lot more comfortable with having that conversation. Oh, God, you know, I wish I knew this one years ago <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what you mean and I couldn't articulate it like that. I once had a boss tell me that um, the problem was my desk was too clean. And I, I didn't know how to fight back and say, what's the problem? <laughs> but actually, <laughs> I, if I had just been able to say, what is the business impact? 
Um, and uh, look, that, that, that's an extreme example. But uh, I remember kind of just been kind of going, well, I can't argue with you. It is very clean. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently I'd that was... i curious to know yeah, why it mattered. Yeah, exactly. I, I, it was a behavioural issue. Apparently it looked like I wasn't doing enough work. Ah, <laughs> so yes. But I'm, I'm just yes. a bit of a clean freak. That's the way it goes. Um, yes. Absolutely. That, that's brilliant. What is the business impact? God, if people take nothing else away from this in, in terms of setting how objectives... Uh, honing in on what is the business impact of that behavior. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That that conversation over what the behavior is or, or, or that, do you think that the systems that are in place and God bless HR, they're trying their best to give us good systems to do these things. But do you yeah. think that managers actually get hooked on systems and because they only kind of use them once or twice a year, they kind of have to relearn them every year and they and they get lost in the system and, and get too caught up with the technology and forget the conversation. Yeah, I, I definitely. Um, like if it was, if I could wave a magic wand that managers would have the conversations, I would get rid of the system because it, it just, right. it, it, yeah. it, it becomes a crutch and it's not about the system. It's about the conversation and it's about the yeah. thinking behind it. Yeah, and it's about giving proper feedback and the reasons for the feedback and the reasons for why it needs to change or where they need to develop to. The conversation is what is absolutely the most important. Yeah. Um, and I would say, and I know, I, I know, I focused the book specifically on objective setting because I recognised that managers actually struggled hugely, grappled hugely with. Yeah. the objective setting part but they equally they equally do struggle with the, the feedback part but that's a different yeah, book that's a di- that's the um, next book <laughs> yeah um but you know the number one my number one um uh rule on performance management in general is no surprises yeah um and so i often get you know some because obviously when i design an uh an objective or performance management process and you're you're cutting you know you're cutting over to the new one so i'll always cut over at the objective setting stage yeah and so you get these conversation questions around well what what do we do about you know that johnny's not very good at doing this what do we do there and you know because we have to close out the old system and yeah. the review and yeah. so my first number one question is well like have you had a chat to johnny about that like does yeah. johnny know anything about that and they go no and i'm saying so the first time johnny will be hearing anything about it would be the review and they'd be going yeah and yeah going, yeah no johnny's no not don't gonna, mention it <laughs> johnny's not gonna like that <laughs> johnny's not gonna like that yeah. so i always kind of go like feel free to set an objective for johnny in the new system yeah. on the topic but that's the way you deal with it. You start off with the new system and, and set an objective that yeah. way with it. If you, have, if you haven't had the conversation with them, you've missed your opportunity. You have to yeah. give them, nobody yeah. likes an ambush. I actually agree with you. That's one of my watchwords yeah. as well. I think it's I think yeah. it's very, very good guiding principle is nobody likes an ambush. And the yeah. only ambushes you ever set are for your enemies and your staff are not your enemy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, one, the other thing I would just add is... Um, uh, the the review meeting should be the easiest meeting of all. It should be the right, easiest yeah. meeting you have ever in your life is the review meeting with your staff members. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because it should be, and we've talked about this and you know about that and we're focusing in on this next time. It should be a recap of the conversations. Yes, Nothing yeah, yeah. there should be a surprise. So it should be the easiest conversation, but in reality, it's not. We know it's not, but yeah. if, if, if that guiding rule of no surprises yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Is is there 
any company nailing this at the moment? Is there is there anybody you would say and put up on a pedestal and what do you know this company really do objective setting really well? Um no. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got room to improve. No, I, well, I, I, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would say there's none that I, like, obviously I have delivered training into places. And so therefore I, I know that they certainly have an understanding of this and that, but I wouldn't necessarily know how, how well it's. Lands. Yeah. Lands, you know, kind of yeah. over time, does it continue kind of thing? Um, and that's the that's the concern is that that it starts off and people do it well and then it kind of tra- trails off or whatever but kind of on a consistent basis where it's really um i i would say you know even the even the good ones would still be patchy depending on the manager wow so i mean it's there's a real opportunity i mean if you think of of engaging your staff of changing things in a company just by getting this one simple thing right which is absolutely designed to set up your year you know if you if you yeah. put the investment and time in this, you could actually transform the company. And yeah. at a time where people are feeling a little unsettled and a little uncertain, you know, they might know what the objectives for next year should look like, given that, you know, a lot of people be working from home or um, working less in teams, actually a little bit more isolated working in, in general. I mean, the, the, the world has shifted on its axis a little in terms of, do, do you think that's going to impact how people set objectives and do you do you think it's actually going to impact it in a worse way? Actually, is probably what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think it adds a le- level of an additional level of complexity to yeah. what is al- already um, kind of a, a complex enough. And, and I think going back to your uh, an earlier point you had made the around that there's very few books in this uh, there's no books specifically yeah, really for managers isn't. in this Google space. it. I um, encourage everybody to Google it. There's yeah, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah because because the books that are available are as you said they're available for people to set their own objectives. And which means when you're setting an objective for yourself you understand the assumptions and the expectations yeah, and yeah. the meanings of things yourself and you yeah. don't have to explain them to somebody else true and the but values and the drivers open. you you know them you don't have to even yeah. write them down because they're in you, you they're in you, you know them. yeah yeah but when you're setting an objective for somebody else okay you're now into communication yeah yeah so all of a sudden you now have the layer of communication and what can go wrong with that and i, I when i'm working with managers on SMART, I just say SMART is a way to make sure both of you are on the same page, that you both understand what the objective is, that you both understand what the outcome is, that you both understand the plan that you're going to do, that the individual is going to do to get there, that you both understand the assumptions and the expectations and the standards. So it is only a tool to have the conversation. In summary, what are the key things that managers should focus on in terms of objective objective setting for this coming year what what should they really focus on i think they should focus on the ensuring well when planning out what they are going to do what i would be saying is is that i'd be incorporating is because we don't know how 2021 is going to turn out so i'd be mm. incorporating a level of fluid fluidity in the uh, yeah. objectives i'd be going to go and look at these are the core ones and then there's our secondary ones yeah so if you get these ones done whatever and you're able to do these fabulous or whatever but we're not going to you, you know if you, if you get the core ones done that's the most important thing because people are having to work in different ways and things are getting kind of you know that has an impact on how much can really be achieved in a period or whatever so i would be kind of 
tearing my, my objectives to the core ones and the nice to have. Right. Good idea. Um, then I would be I mean, I'd be incorporating all of the ideas that are in the book in terms of, you know, setting, you know, looking at designing the objectives based on the outcomes, not on on, on, a, on a step along the way that that, that mm. it's not just the the um, an output, but it's the outcome that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, connecting them to how these matter in their to themselves. How do they matter to the business? How do they matter to the team? Um, and also, how are they developing? Because I do have a, a concern about you know, people are going, oh, this new way of working and we all work from home and that kind of stuff. And you're kind of going, that's mm. fine when the person knows how to do their job, when they're competent in their job, yeah. that's not a problem. But if you're looking to develop them and if they are looking to kind of move to a different role or you need to bring in new people that need to be developed up or whatever, all of a sudden they don't have that connection yeah. or that, you know, yeah. they're being left on their own for a lot of the day or whatever. And so those sorts of objectives, kind of looking at how do we make those real? How do we set them? How do we ensure that people are developing? Because if you don't set those types of objectives, people will start stagnating. Yes. And they've already had seven or eight months of that. Yeah. They're not, they don't really want to look into another 12 months of it. So yeah. I'd be kind of also saying, well, how are we going to develop so, so that your career or your, your opportunities aren't um, stunted yes, for absolutely. 18 months? why we get this done very or good why we get through this this <laughs> yeah that's some great advice Ariel O'Farrell thanks very much for talking to us today I know we could keep talking for ages about this because it's such a great topic and it's so relevant to so many managers and leaders out there um, really is a great book it's a smart objective setting for managers a roadmap um, I think it's something that everybody should uh, get on their shelf there because it's really really useful and I found it I read it in no time at all I found it really easy to read um, so thanks very much for writing a book that needed to be written thank you very much Stephen delighted to have written it <laughs> Listening to Ariel talk just now, you'll be nodding along saying, yes, of course that makes sense. But not everything that makes sense actually makes it to the real world. And as I said at the start of the show, now is the time to think about the drivers, the categories and your own team so that you can make 2021 the year that you set your performance to awesome. The book is available on Ariel's website, evolutionconsulting.ie, or on Amazon. And don't forget that you can win a signed copy of the book by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes and then send me an email to stephen at stephennaughton.com. All previous episodes of the podcast are available on my website, stephennaughton.com, and there is something there for everyone. Remember that keeping leadership on your playlist will make you a better leader. You can find more from me on Instagram at Good Boss, Bad Boss Podcast. And as usual, I'll be back next month with another Good Boss, Bad Boss guest. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.